As you all know, sharpfootballanalysis.com is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. In fact, last week, the site went 7-0 and on sides and totals with computer totals now hitting at 100% for year-to-date. Uh, you can choose some season-long, four-week, and overall weekly packages that best suit your needs. Use promo code SHARP25 for 25% off any product site-wide at sharpfootballanalysis.com. What is going on, Sharp Football family? This is your resident Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar, and I am here. The calendar has flipped October. Four weeks are down. The fantasy season is in full effect. All of our priors have either been confirmed or now obliterated into dust, and we are ready to adjust on what the, is going to happen the rest of the way out for the season. We still have our last full week before bye weeks kind of kick in next week. Uh, it's, been, it's been packing its toll. I'm ready for these bye weeks. Uh, we've got a London game this week, an awesome Sunday night game, so it's going to be a, a you're going to need your rest on Saturday because it's going to be from sun up to sundown Sunday. Uh, you're going to want to see, get, make it through that Chiefs-Bills game. Uh, but one of the things I always love about having this podcast this year is I get to bring on all kinds of, you know, new guests and highlight their work. And uh, this is a person I just started following, you know, over the summer. And uh, I've really enjoyed a lot of the threads he's had. He's active on Twitter. It is uh, Jacob Sanderson. He's the lead analyst at rotounderworld.com. Jacob, man, what's going on, brother? Dude, I am psyched, psyched, psyched to be here. Uh, I'm I'm pumped up. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, the stuff that I'm always, you know, talking about and yammering on about my articles is always bringing in arcane economic theories and market talk. And so you're like, hey, do you want to come in and talk about buys and sells and stuff? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I couldn't be more excited for it. Yeah, I thought you had a lot of great, you know, threads and thoughts on things. Uh, and we will jump into that. That's going to be basically the theme of the show. So we're going to get into like quarter poll buys and sells. I know it's not officially the quarter poll because there's 17 games now this year, but we're going to just lean into that if saying because um, yeah, because you know, typically uh, in, a, in like a lot of the research that that I've done and others have done, I know Adam Harstad, someone has, has done a lot of work in this. You know, typically we are past now the point where uh, preseason ADP is our largest signal for you know rest of season performance. Now we're kind of uh, on our own and basically into the weeds and what's happened so far this season. So we're going to try to recalibrate to this first uh, you know opening month in four weeks and try to see if we can guide some people into some things that they may have overlooked and maybe a little frustration they're having or just some players to target on some philosophy on you know, kind of trading, how to go about trading. We'll get into all that. Uh, but, but first, you know, like I said, I like to promote, you know, the, the guests uh, that I have on and the work that they're doing. You do a weekly article called The Pareto Principles over at rotounderworld.com. I love that, you know, as someone that does uh, a lot of, you know, fantasy, you know, content is fully in the weeds. I definitely could need to be someone that applies a little bit more 20% than 80%. Uh, but, you know, if you can, uh, you know, kind of give people just a, a top-down walkthrough of kind of what that article is about and, uh, you know, what they can expect from it. And then we'll kind of maybe riff off on some things that happened last week on it. Yeah, man, absolutely. So uh, the first article I ever did that got published in this space almost a year ago to the day was uh, uh, called Optimizing Your Dynasty Roster with the Pareto Principles. And I did a lot of dynasty content over the off-season. And then I really wanted to do a DFS piece because I, I've been playing DFS for a few years and primarily in small field tournaments. And I was like, you know what, you know, I'm sort of going to use this uh, Pareto Principles title uh, to sort of carry that over and talk a lot about applying market strategy, economic strategy. I, I studied economics in my undergrad and applying that towards daily fantasy sports because really 
you know, what DFS is, it's less a game about football players and it's more a game about people and it's a game about probabilities. And you're trying to find, I mean, Rich, you were, we were talking about uh, DFS like for 15 minutes after I came on the stream here because you're just doing that show. And what I really do in that article is, you know, we go at sort of a higher level um, strategic discussion. I'll bring in, you know, sort of different metaphors and life lessons and things and try to apply it to whatever the slate is ahead on the week because I'm running in midweek. So I, I can't tell you exactly what my lineups are going to be, but I can sort of look back on the week that was, look to the week ahead and apply some of that higher level analysis, some overarching tournament strategy and try to apply that to some plays that I think are going to be undervalued uh, this week and underplayed. And I've had a lot of fun with it. Uh, I think, you know, hopefully people are enjoying it. I think we've had, you know, mixed results so far, some really solid weeks and some less solid weeks, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. And, and uh, definitely people want to check it out, especially if they want to check out my first introductory piece that really talks about uh, tournament strategy and my approach to that, that uh, you know, that that's all available on Player Profiler. I love that. And that's something I think, you know, obviously is, going to be something that gets more popular as DFS continues to grow, uh, you know, tournament, you know, game selection and just understanding that, yeah, it's not about always, you know, playing the best plays, the right plays, or even, you know, understanding when you can play chalky plays. So I love getting into the weeds on that. You know, I always tell people it's, you know, people always talk about DFS leverage, but what DFS leverage is, is taking what the field believes is going to happen versus what you believe is going to happen. And if you're not on board with, you know, that you can use that to your advantage, you know, whether it be, you know, Derek Henry coming in 30% owned, or we were talking about Odell Beckham last week. Uh, and we're going to see that kind of this week, where we're going to have guys like, you know, in the mid price here, we're going to have guys like Leonard Fournette, Damian Williams, and Samaj P. Ryan all kind of grouped together mm-hmm. in this like tier of running backs. And we're going to see who's more popular out of all those guys. We're going to have a situation you know, where, you know, do we get some leverage this week on the big dog with guys like, you know, Ryan, no one is going to want to play Ryan Tannehill, uh, you know, maybe with Arthur Juan coming back, there's a chance for us to get, you know, on board there. Yeah. Uh, we haven't got to really do the, uh, the Ryan Tannehill leverage spot against the big dog yet this season. Maybe it's a spot this week. We'll see what happens. That's like my favorite thing. Yeah. There's, there's, <laughs> there's nothing I enjoy more than staring down the face of a big dog chalk week, like Ramsey Bolton and Game of Thrones, <laughs> chucking out a Ryan Tannehill stack. Yeah, so rest assured that I will be playing a Ryan Tannehill, Arthur Juan, Anthony Firk daddy uh, double stack this week. I'm probably bringing you, it back uh... with LaVisca because I'm a glutton for punishment. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, we always play uh, receivers against the Titans, so don't let those Jaguars on the run back get overlooked either. (laughs) I love that you dropped Arthur Wan to today in the threads. I tried to make that really happen over the summer, and it wasn't catching on. I even dropped a a thread about it, and now no one was really catching on, so I like to see it starting to pick up a little steam. I saw Smiz drop it in one of his videos, and I was really happy about it. Uh, I would. I don't understand why he would ever go by AJ instead of Arthur Wan. It's such a such a mic drop uh, to go by your government there. And some of those some of those guys that use the abbreviated names have such great names. I've always thought Adriel Jeremiah was like one of the best names. You know, just to go by AJ was yeah. such a disappointment. <laughs> I, I posted on Twitter today. Uh, you know, my top ten dynasty wide receivers, but just referring to them by their government issued names. Uh, or I guess not government issued, you know, the government didn't give them their name. We're not, we're not Fahrenheit 451, but uh, I, it's, it's such a clear correlation really between the name swag index and your ability to play wide receiver that I'm frankly worried about Justin Jefferson. Like I, I just don't understand how, how Justin can continue to compete with such studs as, as DeKalen, Zacharias uh, and Sedarian 
and Arthur Juan and, uh, you know, the newest member of the dynasty wide receiver top tier, uh, Deniston Oliver Jr. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't How are you going to compete with this? Yeah. The, the only one that uh, really makes sense to me is T.Y. Hilton, whose uh, issued name is Eugene, uh, which so I don't really know where the T.Y. comes from. But that was a great choice to go by T.Y. instead of Eugene. Uh, Eugene Hilton is yeah. not a great wide receiver. So he definitely made the right call there. Uh yeah, you said you brought up a couple wide receivers and, you know, those, those dynasty tiers. I saw you kind of were taking some polls and we've had some guys kind of really kind of off to some blistering starts to open up this first month of the season. Guys like Debo Samuel and Cooper Cup really? uh, and kind of the what do we do in dynasty now if you have some of these guys? Because they're, you know, they're catching so much steam and they're so hot out of the gates. Uh, is this a is this a chance to kind of, you know sell high on these guys they're going to be overvalued in the market you were someone that already re-ranked your wide receivers i don't have the kind of time to go back and do dynasty rings i wish i did and i know the subscribers wish i did too uh but now that you've kind of recalibrated for this opening month of the season what did you end up doing with some of these guys like a cup or debo and anyone else that you can uh, think of off the top of your head uh, that you were kind of really going through the weeds on of like where do you really kind of uh, the conundrum of their start versus really where you had them and how to adjust for uh or to not overinflate them i should say yeah, I mean, you caught me in a good week. I, I'm I'm in the midst of re-ranks right now. Just like you said off the top of the show, you know, four weeks, if the quarter poll is a decent window to look at things. And so I uh, I do our Dynasty ranks for Full Tilt Dynasty, which I co-founded with my, my buddies Tom and Billy. And on Friday, I'll be publishing my updated quarter poll uh, Dynasty ranks on that site. And I'm, I'm dealing with these same questions for sure. <laughs> I mean, the first answer to the question is obvious between Debo and Cooper Cup. I mean, the name swag index is clear. Would you rather have Tyshawn Raekwon or would you rather have Cooper Douglas? Uh, you know, clearly Debo is, you know, is better than Cooper Douglas. Um, but no, I, I, I'm kind of the opposite of the market, I think. I, I think that the, the market has generally been more inclined to go with Cooper Cup. And I understand why. But this gets to really what a lot of my content is about, which is basically just it's profiting from uncertainty. That's like the underlying theme of my work. And the way I look at it is Cooper Cup, right? I think people feel safer about sort of where his floor is, where if he falls back from his historic pace, you know, his floor has been this sort of fringe wide receiver one, wide receiver two for the last few years. Now he has the quarterback upgrade. People are really comfortable with that. I mean, my issue is it's not just the quarterback upgrade. I mean, he's like a career 20 to 23% target share guy. He's kind of living in the Amari Cooper radius. Uh, even his best season in 2019, he was up to 25% targets per route run, 21% overall target share. This year, I mean, he's been up there in the 30s. And I just don't really have any comparable of a 28-year-old wide receiver that you know went from a sort of fringe alpha beta area to all of a sudden like historic Jerry Rice levels. That's, that's just not a thing that I've ever seen. I don't expect it to continue. Whereas with Debo, you know, I kind of like that he hasn't done it before. I mean, he had a really, really impressive rookie year. He was over two yards per route run, both his rookie year and his sophomore year. And he just never got to take off his sophomore year. He played through a hamstring injury, he had a, a foot injury. You know, what if this is the ascension that we were always supposed to get with Debo in year two? right? Maybe this is just him taking the next step. I'm kind of more willing to buy in uh, to Debo longer term than I am into Cooper Cup, although both are obviously studs if you have them on your, your team. But I would say generally, I'm actually a little bit more 
optimistic with Debo, at least at the player level. I understand he'd probably rather have Stafford's wide receiver one than, you know, Jimmy McLance is wide receiver one. We don't even know who their quarterback's going to be, but uh, I'm like really excited about Debo. Yeah, I'm looking at some Cooper Cup recent trades on uh, DynastyLeagueFootball.com. We've got Cooper Cup for Michael Pittman, uh, a 2023 round one, a 2023 round two. Uh, that one, that one is probably you know something that's interesting. Okay. We got Coop, Cooper Cup straight up for Antonio Gibson. We've got Cooper Ooh. Cup and DeAndre Swift for Christian McCaffrey and Damian Harris. Uh, you know, so th- there's some uh, Cooper Cup for Henry Ruggs and a 2022 one. We've got uh, a lot of a lot of future firsts, a lot of future firsts here uh, uh, mixed in. So if you want to go off a cup, uh, a future one in Brandon Ayuk for Cooper Cup, that's pretty interesting. Mm. If you're getting that buy low on Brandon Ayuk, that's interesting because you I'm know Ayuk. Yeah, I mean, I mean Ayuk's rookie season signal suggests that uh, you know he is someone to kind of bet on long term. This could just be something weird that's happening in his career. It, it very well could be. I don't think this is a Dante Pettis situation, but we never know because Shanahan's such a weird dude. Uh, but this also feels like just like very much happenstance right now. And as, I still feel like the Four ers are going to need Brandon Ayuk like to win a Super Bowl. If that's not you know the immediate goal, which right. I believe it is. Like he's a player that they still need to have contribute uh, full picture. And I thought you know two weeks ago when he had the, the nice little stick route on Jair Alexander in the end zone. Um, and if you saw, they, it was a mirror play where they both ran the same route and Debo couldn't yeah. even separate on his and Ayuk just stuck it and, you know, just plants on Jair Alexander. He's not even close to him. Uh, there's still talent there. It just could be one of those things. Uh, I don't know if this year it's ever going to regroup and redraft, uh, but, you know, I still think there's a lot of signal there. To, we can't just, you know, throw out the, uh, the baby with the bathwater on Ayuk here. Big picture. Cool. I love what you mentioned about that mirror route because Debo and Cup actually have this in common. Uh, I'm I'm a bit biased towards the guys who are who are natural separators against man coverage and press man coverage. I I just think that that's a more sustainable way to win in the NFL over time. I think that's generally the way you become a more matchup proof, scheme proof player. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I was sort of. I've been like lifelong labeled as a juju hater because I I was never really buying into him at the peak of his powers uh, just because I always thought he was more of a zone beater type player. And, you know, now, now I think he's probably actually undervalued, but back, back at the time in, you know, 2019, early 2019, both Debo and cup are, are fascinating. I was looking through their reception perception numbers. And of course, Matt Harmon is the goat of all things wide receiver. Uh, And both of them are, among the top eight in success rate versus zone coverage. And interestingly enough, they're also been running about 70 to 80% of their routes against zone coverage, which is not surprising because both of them have very, very smart head coaches who are scheming them to their strengths. And this is not to say that they are bad, but both of them have like legitimately poor success rates versus man. Uh, Cooper cops is down under 60. That's below 50th percentile. And Debo's is like actually pretty rancid. He's like 51%, which is quite a low percentile grade against man coverage. I'm not like super concerned about that for this year because they both play, you know, uh, roles in these offenses that they're going to get them the ball in space. And that's what they do best. But I I do think like if I I saw a lot of those trades you mentioned with cup, it's like, you're trading down from cup. You're trying to cash out from cup. I I prefer to cash up than cash Mm -hmm. out. Like the the trades that I'm trying to do, if I have Debo or if I have cup and I want to move them out, like I want to add the pick or I want to add the Pittman or add the rugs and go get myself, you know, Arthur Juan Brown, who people are panicked on a little bit. Uh, DJ Moore, who's an equally ascending talent, but I, I just frankly think is just kind of better than those guys. And he's younger than those guys. Uh, 
you know, even, even uh, going out and getting Stefan Marchand Diggs, who's been like the by low King this year, because somehow he just can't score a darn touchdown. That's sort of more where I would want to go with it because I think those are the guys that can beat every coverage and every scheme in any situation. Uh, whereas these guys are, are like elite at a certain level, but I, I do think that they, they're a little bit more scheme reliant. Yeah, I've seen a couple of trades too on the same thing, dynastyleaguefootball.com. Uh, I've seen, I've got a Chase Edmonds and Debo Samuel for Calvin Ridley. Uh, that's what I want to do. Yes, yeah. that's the one. We've got a Debo for Jerry Judy in a pick. That is, that's very, that's very tasty. That's attractive that, to me. That's very yeah. spicy. Uh, we've got Debo for Kyle Pitts. Oh, here Ooh, it is. Straight yes. up. This is a straight up trade that has happened. Uh, Debo and Arthur Juan, no, no spice, just one for one musical charity. Okay. I'm so <laughs> smashing Arthur. A lot yeah. of Jerry Judy Debo yeah. trades on here. I, there, I've counted already three Debo Jerry Judy trades. So I think that is a uh, very interesting to me because Debo uh, Jerry Judy is one of those guys uh, as a rookie was an elite separator. And, you know, he, he is a very Stefan Diggsian profile. Like he does a little bit mm-hmm. of everything uh, and gets open at every level and every route. Uh, definitely don't let that early season injury. And we were going to have takeoff and, you know, it looks like he's going to be back in a couple of weeks. So keep that on your mind. Uh, one I thing mean, I think if Judy didn't get hurt, he's another guy that we're talking about, like cop and Debo mm-hmm. and DJ Moore and Mike Williams as these ascending wide receivers. I mean, he looked like mm-hmm. he was going to go scorched earth until he, he you know, snapped right. his ankle. So I, I don't know if he's going to be at full strength when he comes back. I'm probably most inclined to trade for Judy actually kind of right when he returns. Cause I think people are, people don't want to move him right now. They, they know that they're selling low. And then if he comes back, I think he probably lays up a couple of duds because the history on high ankle sprains is pretty yep. gruesome. And then I think that's when you really attack, uh, you know, and then you don't even have to wait it out and you just insert him in your lineup and you get healthy, Jerry. Yeah. I love that. Uh, so before, I mean, cause Jerry Judy might come up and when we get to some of these buys or guys yeah. to keep your earmark. Uh, but one, before we get into the weeds then I always like to ask every guest now uh, each show, like who's one player you're stashing on benches. Like you just, you're just holding, like you believe he's going to pop. It may even be Jerry Judy for you. I don't know, but who's someone you're, you're holding that you believe in big picture for this season. Yeah. So one guy that I really love, uh, it's not Arthur Juan, it's Algiers Jamil William Dillon Jr. Uh, So I, uh, big fan of AJ Dillon. Uh, I I really liked him as a prospect. And one of the things that I liked is I was like, you know what? I actually don't think we have a freaking clue if this guy can catch the football or not, because Boston college believes that the forward pass is a trick play. So you know, his college receiving stats weren't that great. His, his college receiving share was totally adequate, but it was also just like a question mark. Like it was never an option to throw the ball to anyone in Boston college. So he's come out this year and people were really down on him after that Monday night game when Aaron Jones just dominated all of the touches. Uh, and, you know, and AJ Dillon didn't really get to see anything. And then they go to Kylan Hill for the cleanup duty. It was pretty tilting. But he's still available now in 42% of leagues. I believe that's on ESPN. And we're seeing running backs go down like flies. I mean, by no means would I ever wish anything bad on Sombrero Daddy Aaron Jones. I I love that man with all my heart. But if we did, A.J. Dillon to me is right in that conversation with Alex Madison and Tony Pollard in terms of the most valuable handcuffs you can have. And I still think we're creeping towards a little bit of standalone value. We, we saw it last week. He had, I think, 15 carries for 81 yards. He looks really good going up against that Pittsburgh run defense last week. They've been hyping him up as a cold weather back, which, you know, it's a narrative street, whatever. But point is, I think he's darn good. He's 
super fast. He's super explosive. He's got the ability to break a big play. And what's encouraging to me is even on limited snaps, they've gotten him six targets out of the backfield uh, in four weeks. I think if, if Aaron Jones went down, he actually has more of a three down skill set than people are, are willing to concede. We've seen him used a little bit in passing situations behind Jones, who's obviously one of the best at that in the whole NFL. So I, I would make sure to, to save a spot open for Aaron, uh, for AJ Dillon, especially, uh, vis-a-vis some more you know low upside vet wide receivers that that are just sort of bi-week fill-ins i'd rather take the shot on dylan i love that i love that whole week see i've seen him dropped in some leagues too as well so definitely if he was dropped you can go out and pick him up if you've got you know some depth and you're churning roster spots he's definitely the archetype of what you look for uh in terms of you know bench holds and you know attachment to offense and good quarterback play and, and the role he would have in his mm-hmm. offense i love that all right so listen we're going to get into some buy sells but before we talk about specific players, I just kind of want to you know, pick your brain on overall philosophy at this time of year. Uh, you know, yeah. for one, like what, what, what are we looking to target, uh, you know, in terms of, are we looking for strictly players that have underachieved bases like expectation? Are we looking to get out from players that overachieve? Because you always have the argument, too, of, well, what if these players warrant more opportunity? They played so well that they warrant more opportunity. Uh, this, this, this usage might not be the same. We've seen some guys run really hot uh, because they've had some opportunities. But what if over the course of the season, the opportunity level? out and they don't have to just live off of you know touchdowns per se uh what what is it when you're looking to buy players at this time of the year that people are wanting to get out from uh what is it you're looking for uh to kind of get in on yeah i mean i always think it's really interesting to just look at the players you know range of outcomes and what what are the what are the ways that that what we've seen can actually change right is it a quick fix the problem is a lot of times when it's a really easy fix then they're not actually a buy low because everyone knows that they're a buy low, right? Like mm-hmm. Stefan Diggs, like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like everyone's like buy low on Stefan Diggs. I mean, by all means, if you can buy low on Stefan Diggs, buy low on Stefan Diggs. But I, I think that people are a little smarter than you give it credit for. Like everyone knows that Stefan Diggs is awesome. And Josh Allen has now actually been playing awesome. So all that needs to change is that he actually throws to his best wide receiver within the vicinity of the end zone at some point, right? Like that's going to happen. Uh, the ones that are more interesting to me are like Calvin Ridley, where a lot of people are really worried about Matt Ryan or really interestingly to me is Alan Robinson. Uh, you know, I just traded for Alan Robinson today. Uh, and I just love how quickly people can confirm narratives that sound nice and fit in the circle. And, and the thing is like, life is never that easy, right? So people sort of have this belief about, uh, Mooney, right? People really like Mooney. He's buzzy and he's young and he's pop and, and it's exciting, right? And then they see Fields come in. They see that he's targeted Mooney more than Robinson. It's like 15 to 12, I think, on his 50 pass attempts since taking over. Small margin, but it's it's noticeable. And now those narratives come out where people, they want to look for the easiest possible why. And what we've settled on now as a community, as fact, is that Alan Robinson can only make contested catches. He's just slow and dusty. Uh, and Darnell <laughs> Mooney is young and fast. So he separates all the time. And because Fields is a rookie, uh, rookies need to see that open before they throw it. And so now Mooney's going to be, uh, you know, the guy who gets more targets. And that might be true. Like, we, I, you know, that could totally be true. I, I buy that. It's plausible. I, I Look, my hand doesn't spend a whole lot of time in the dirt. So I'm not going to sit here and say that I've been grinding the all 22 of every bear snap. Uh, and that it's not true that Mooney's getting more open. That might be the case. But we've seen Al Robinson produce with rookie quarterbacks plenty. I mean, we've seen him be absolutely with Blake freaking Bortles. We saw him produce with Mitch Trubisky. Uh, like Justin Fields, who's a much superior prospect to those guys, has a much higher ceiling. 
we're supposed to believe that he can't produce with, with Justin Fields. So it's actually a downgrade to go from the corpse of Andy Dalton to Justin Fields, just because Mooney has more targets in this really small sample. I mean, Fields has thrown less passes on the season than Ben Roethlisberger threw in one game against Cincinnati. So I'm actually looking to go and buy Allen Robinson. Uh, I think that it really unlocks probably a better ceiling because what if fields is really good? And what if they do want to throw the ball more? Uh, it's not every week that they're going to be up 21, nothing on the lines at half. So I'm, I'm still in on a Yeah. I thought that this has been an interesting dichotomy, you know, over the, the past couple of days that Andy Dalton was somehow good for anybody, but you know, uh, you know, the, that the volume was going to find him. Remember at draft time when Justin Fields was drafted, everyone was legitimately excited. Allen Robinson's going to play with a real quarterback, right? Like this is, everyone thought it was a huge plus. And then now like you said 50 passes of Justin Fields, everyone's off that thought process, right? We'd seen this happen with Alvin Kamara too. Like everyone was like, Oh, Alvin Kamara has splits with Drew Brees. Like he just doesn't get targeted a lot. Michael Thomas gets hurt. So the narrative goes in the other direction and he's open to season not getting targeted. You know, the, the, we, we, we flip all the time on these things, uh, but you know, they're not true. We have a huge sample of Allen Robinson being a good NFL player. He's playing with an, ob, uh, an arguable quarterback upgrade now. Well, I, I mean, I would definitely believe that, you know, Andy Dalton's not bringing anyone back from the grave right, and at least exactly. Justin Fields adds that. I, I think in the we talk about range of outcomes, it applies to Allen Robinson a lot because are you ever going to recoup recoup like the wide receiver twelve to fourteen value you invested? I mean, it's probably lower at this end of the spectrum right now. But does that mean you still can't get a usable player the rest of the season out of him? Uh, I believe you have higher odds of Justin Fields providing that now. I mean, he had an eighteen yard depth of target. You know, he only had three targets, but there also isn't going to be a large sample of games where Darnell Moody just doubles him in targets the rest of the way out. Like that's just no, not, that's, right. I would easily bet against that. Uh, them not being able to get the ball, their best player or them throwing 17 passes in a game. Those are, these are things that just aren't going to be sticky week to week. Uh, so I do love that call a, as well uh, because it's not always like you saying now, like, all right, well, I have to get my full investment on Allen Robinson. Now, now it's about getting a player you can get into your lineup and fits the construct of your team. Uh, and if you have a hole, you know, that doesn't need Allen Robinson to be a wide receiver one or be an alpha, maybe he's just volatile, but he, you have usable weeks mm-hmm. for him. Uh, but that those fit types of rosters. What if he's just like, you know, kind of Tyler Lockett in a sense like that, where he can, you know, because we've seen rookie quarterbacks, especially mobile rookie quarterbacks, their pass catching wide receivers from a fantasy stance are typically volatile. Uh, and, you know, they yeah. typically don't take a lot of guys along for the ride at once. So it's going to be a lot of upper ground. I bet we'll see Mooney and, and Allen Robinson oscillate a lot. It's in terms of target share and in terms of production. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I like that call a lot. You brought up Calvin Ridley. He's easily like my still, like one of my favorite players to get. And I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's easy to make the argument. I mean, he's number two in expected points for wide receiver. The, from this point on uh, at sharp football analysis, he has, um, our number 12 passing schedule from weeks five to 14. So from this week on, um, we saw the A dot go up last week, you know, after he had just a nine yard A dot weeks one through three Atlanta because of their offensive line play, they're throwing a lot of quick passes near line of scrimmage. We saw them finally able to push the ball a little bit downfield. You know, Matt Ryan's A dot goes to 12 and a half yards. Ridley's goes to the season high 15.1 yards. We see the deep targets. Remember, he was number one in the NFL in deep targets last season. Uh, he was the air yard king last year. Uh, and he's a player that if you look at, his trajectory from a career, he's just always gotten better every year of the NFL. So maybe we were always going to have a, 
a situation where we reach the apex and maybe this is it. Uh, but he's still being used and featured like an elite wide receiver uh, in terms of every types of target, you know, that you can kind of account for that you want overall team target share, uh, even yards per team pass attempt, which is one of my favorite, you know, stats that leads to future production uh, is still there because the team just doesn't have a lot of passing yards in general at this stage. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's one of these guys that I would love to get. He could easily have a great game in London against the Jets this weekend. Um, but also, is he another guy too, or you just recruit what you invested like at the one, two turn, are you going to get that? You know, it's probably, it's, it's significantly hampered now, but again, you don't have to get that, especially if you're someone acquiring him on a roster that is already not, you know, either needing that. So, I mean, he's one of my favorite guys to kind of go on target. Totally agree with Ridley. And I want to give you two sort of philosophical points. And I think they can relate to both Robinson, especially Robinson and Ridley too. And, and certainly some other players, uh, number one is this concept uh, that I apply to fantasy of inferior goods. And, and I've written about this before, you know, in, in economics, inferior goods are, are labeled as, you know, any sort of product that does best when the economy is actually doing its worst. Right. So like in the pandemic, uh, everybody's buying toilet paper, right? Like toilet paper is something that's usually not worth a whole lot, but because economic conditions are terrible and everybody actually needs to go get toilet paper, right? More people buy ramen noodles if we're in a recession. Uh, and a lo- I am almost always fading inferior good fantasy players and fantasy p- managers make inferior good arguments about players all the time. Like they'll say things like, okay, this offense is going to be bad, but that benefits X. This team is going to be bad, but that benefits Y. Um, you know, this quarterback can't throw. So that benefits Z. Like I, I don't want those kind of players. Like why, why do I want players who's, ceiling outcome that supposedly their beneficial outcome is based on things going wrong around them like league winning fantasy assets usually don't come from the ashes of calamity like that's not usually how you're chasing league winning upside i would rather bet on positive outcomes and the people who benefit the most from positive outcomes the people who can cause positive outcomes like I, I don't want to look at it like okay what if justin fields refuses to throw a contested pass like well, if that's the case, then I probably don't want anyone in the freaking Bears. Like, that's deeply unfortunate. It, what if Justin Fields is worse for the wide receivers than Andy Dalton? What if he's worse for the wide receivers than Andy Dalton? Then, by golly, sell Damian Williams because I don't want anyone in the Bears if Justin Fields is worse than Andy Dalton. Like, I, I want to bet on Justin Fields being better than Andy Dalton. I want to bet on him being good. Uh, and the other element you mentioned about recouping, you know, I don't understand the mindset of sometimes of, of how people approach the sell low. Like to me, if I have a bad team and I, and I do have some, some teams that are off to some rough starts, but if I have the rough start that I think the last way to react to that is, you know, taking the players who've underperformed and, and selling them for what I see as sort of safer, higher floor players that probably don't have the same upside because they didn't have that same draft capital. Uh, I, I heard Sean right. Siegel and Ben Gretsch, who I think was on your show last week, uh, talking mm-hmm. about this on Stealing Bananas, where, well, actually, that's not really the way to get back to the top. That might be no. the way to turn your ninth <laughs> place team into an eighth place team, but like, who cares? Uh, like, the, the way to get back to first is probably by holding those elite ceiling guys, or if anything, like doubling down. Uh, I did this in a, in a league, uh, in a best ball draft, actually, where things started to go kind of wrong. And I ended up having to go double tight end, which is something I never do because Hawkinson fell really far. I took, I was like, well, this isn't really optimal. So, but instead of now filling out my running backs and wide receivers with safer picks, because I know that they're worse, that's just admitting that I fucked up. Instead, I'm just going to 
take players that have the same ceiling, but have wider ranges of outcomes. So I'm going to take like Tony Pollard. I'm going to take Alex Madison. I'm going to take Chuba Hubbard. I'm going to take these guys because I want to extend my range of outcomes so that even as I'm already accepting that I have a lower floor, but I need to get the ceiling higher everywhere else. And, and that seems actually like my highest scoring best ball team in my entire portfolio. Um, so I, I think that that's something that just people should think about is if you're behind, like you don't get further ahead really by bringing your ceiling down to bring your median up. You need to find creative ways to keep your ceiling higher. So like, if anything, if I'm one and three, I would rather trade for an injured guy, frankly, who if I can get a little bit of luck and I can stay alive, okay, now I have something to look forward to. Now I have something where, oh, okay, I have Jerry Judy coming back. You know, maybe if I can scrounge my way to three and five, now I can make a real run. Like, I don't want to just be like, oh boy, I better trade whatever I can to get, you know, Damian Williams that I can plug someone into my <laughs> yeah, roster. Right. Like, I don't want to, it's just such a weird, you know, mindset to me. Yeah, I actually had an email this, uh, not an email, a tweet this week from uh, someone uh, as I was talking about Calvin Ridley and, you know, the changes that they had in offense this week as it being a potential, like, Maybe this is the last week to potentially buy. And I had a tweet someone sent to me and they said, hey, I started 0-4. I've got Kamara, uh, Ridley, DK Metcalf, uh, DJ Moore. And, you know, wh- who do I need to trade off to get back? And I'm like, nothing. I like, dude, your team's awesome. Like, just, just it's just been yeah. it's just been bad luck, man. Like, you've had, you've had some guys underperform. But, like, that's the roster, like, I still would want to set every week. Like, when I set my lineup, like, that's what I want to set. So, I don't want to go and, and, you know, take Alvin Kamara and dump him for, you know, a, a two for one. Um, you know, do some, do like you said, just to fill holes or get some guys that are usable right now. That's exactly it. Because, like you said, it is four weeks. Fantasy football very rarely creates uh, a set number of players. It's a finite number of players every season that are good from wire to wire. It's, it's typically you just being in on the right pockets of the schedule. These players deliver huge, their huge stretches of the season. It's not, you know, the fantasy scoring isn't on a bell curve. It's typically just, uh, you know, a scatter shot, a scatter shot where like you'll have a dude. It, it's not a player averages is what you always see player points per game, but typically a guy will have 30. He'll have eight. He'll have 25, you know, that that's how it is. A lot of Tyler Lockett. <laughs> you know, but you know, yeah, you, you oh, get what I'm saying. Sure. It's, it's no one's yeah, just scoring absolutely. 14 points a week, every week. Uh, and we, we very rarely have Except a for, uh, like rookie year Jarvis Landry. <laughs> who had nine catches for 31 yards every week. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, people, people always kind of, you know, overvalue that consistency and trying to get like those four players. But like you said, you want to be acquiring these players that still have it in their range of outcomes to go on these, you know, three plus game heaters where they're just winning you games on their own. You know, that yeah. that's exactly what you want to be on. Uh, you don't want to be, you know, getting, you know, Cole Beasley and, you know, Hunter Renfro on your roster because they've been solid. Yeah. But <laughs> I think if you have a really good team, then you should want Hunter Renfro because you're going to have to have some tax problems, right? Like if you, <laughs> you know, if you're on some of these sites and you got it, I'm from Canada. So like if I have to transfer, you know, American prize winnings, back across the border. How am I going to do that without the accountant Hunter Renfro being able to find all the loopholes I need to keep my money? So I think that's something that we're underrating. <laughs> Let me ask you about one player that, uh, you know, uh, is may not be a buy or, or sell, but I think is interesting because you talked about thinking about just this uh, aspect of what players are really being used differently than we expected, right? Like we've had guys underperforming, like Stefan Diggs is not underperforming. Calvin Ridley's underperforming a little bit, but these player players, they're they're being used the same way we thought they would be used. Uh, You know, with Debo Samuel different, but like some of these guys that people want to get out from uh, are are still being used the way that in the capacity that we thought they were. But one guy that's kind of, I don't know if he is or isn't is Deandre Hopkins. You know, at this point last year, 
DeAndre Hopkins had a 34% team target share. He had 46 targets, the next closest player at 18. This year, he's got 25 targets, A.J. Green. It's only one more than A.J. Green. He's got a 19.4% team target share. But also, on the other hand, he's attached to what we believe is the best fantasy quarterback maybe for the season outside of Patrick Holmes or maybe even rivaling him. that way. Yeah. And, you know, we've got a team that's had over 400 yards of offense every game. He's still running the second most routes per team uh, drop back in the NFL behind Terry McLaurin. 97% of the Arizona dropbacks he's been in on. Like, is he a player that like we like the role is different for him, really? Or is he just kind of run into like a weird stretch where other guys are performing around him? He is past the age apex. What are we doing at DeAndre Hopkins? Yeah, the, the DeAndre Hopkins situation is. Very, very bizarre. Uh, so his last year, I thought his role was kind of low key bad. Mm-hmm. Like he had, he had an 81st uh, average depth of target in the entire NFL last year. It was 8.8. Basically, yeah, they recently ran King. three by. They, they just ran yeah. him. They ran him on an island. It's like, all right, DeAndre, you're going to run. Uh, it's like, it's like what I learned when I first learned to play Madden. We're going to run curl flats and that's just yeah. going to be Hopkins. And sometimes he'll curl in and then sometimes he'll run the comeback to the sideline. That was the route tree. Uh, and eventually later in the season, they used him deeper a little bit more, but it's, it's been kind of the same role this year. The difference is, is that last year, their wide receiver room featured, you know, the really dusty Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, who is battling injury and just frankly, just playing at a much lower level than he's playing at this year. And they were trotting out some concoction of Andy Isabella, Trent Sherfield, uh, you know, he's better than Brandon Ayuk, but uh, he's, he's in Rondell Moore. Uh, and then, you know, these other guys, they're just finding and, and putting in, oh, uh, Keyshawn Johnson, uh, you know. <laughs> so now all of a sudden this year, I mean, you have A.J. Green, who I, I hate to admit this, but he's actually kind of playing well. Uh, and no then doubt. we have Christian Kirk, who's lighting up the PFF grades, looking explosive, playing much better in the slot. You know, who fantasy Twitter was right, right? For years, even like, just play Christian Kirk in the slot. It'll be great. And, and it is. Uh, and then Ronnie Moore, you know, it was super exciting. I am kind of worried about Hopkins. The issue is, is, is kind of like what you're saying. It's like, okay, well, if I'm trading for Hopkins, then, you know, my, my team is, my team is going to take a hit either way, right? It's like, if, if Hopkins is just worse than I thought he was, right? If he's a second round pick that I use, but he's actually a, a fourth round pick value wise, well, I'm taking a hit. But if I trade him right now, I'm probably trading him at that like fourth round pick value. Uh, and then I'm kind of taking a hit either way. It's like, do I think it's more likely that I'm going to be able to trade for someone that can reach what I hoped Hopkins would be? Or do I think it's more likely that Hopkins can just recover that? I, I probably bet on the latter just based on that he's DeAndre Hopkins and that he's awesome. And I, and I assume that he'll eventually figure it out. But I am a little bit wary for sure. He, uh, he's definitely not someone that I would be like trying to buy low on. I, I don't think he's... He's a good buy low. I'm not sure I'd want to sell low either, but what about you? Yeah, he's someone that I've really wrestled with, uh, you know, because he was one of these guys that just kind of was like an afterthought in drafts. Like I actually ended up with him in the second round, like a few leagues just because he'd, mm-hmm. he'd hit like that mid second or just kind of be there. Right. Like it was just, it's, it's never one of these things like it's all right. Well, DeAndre Hopkins is there. Like I'll just plug him in, you know, it's, it's, he's going to be like kind of where he always is, but there were some red flags last year, you know, definitely. And he's bounced back in the touchdown department to start, but he's had, you know, declining, you know, Ed zone usage for multiple years now running, even as last year with Deshaun Watson, you talked about the, the a dot and him kind of being just the guy that lived on that volume last year. It was always fragile. Well, if that volume disappears, then this, mm-hmm. this outcome is happening, right? Like that existed. 
Like it was like, if you looked at his ADOT and his yards produced, you know, per catch, you're just like, all right, well, if he doesn't get, you know, 160 targets, like this range of outcomes exists and we're seeing that play out. So, yeah, I think he's more of a guy that is, if you can get someone to pay, uh, you know, more, you know, 90 cents on the dollar, I probably would look to do it. Uh, but other than that, like you have to hold, but like, yeah, I, I'm not someone that's looking to just necessarily go in and swoop in and, you know, kind of, and, and being the one that pays that 90 cents on the dollar. Right. And, and say I'm paying. Buying yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe, like, maybe, maybe you could go to someone, like, do you think it's plausible you could get Ridley for Hopkins if you add a little something like I, I could see a scenario, right. Let's, let's say that the Ridley owner, uh, you know, just lost a running back, which, Probably, you know, four people in your league just lost a running back. Uh, and I don't <laughs> know, this you week. can flip them. You can flip them Hopkins plus whatever, you know, usable running back you have on your bench uh, that you'll replace off waivers again next week. Like, I, I would be willing to do that. Like Kenny sure. Gainwell. Like, can like, you throw Kenny Gainwell yeah, the, hot, exactly the hotness? The hotness. <laughs> like, I, I would move Hopkins for and Gainwell for Ridley in an absolute heartbeat. Uh, you know, I pretty much always the way I'm looking, like, I, you know, I, I said before with the sell highs, you know, I, I don't want to cash out. I want to cash up. I would prefer with my sell lows, like let's, let's try and get someone at the same level that I thought he was going to be. And I'll just have to pay mm-hmm. on the back end of my roster because especially in redraft, like with the exception of like maybe some like FFPC leagues and stuff, it's usually so easy to find someone who can fill in whatever depth piece you're leaving. Like you're probably going to get someone off. Waivers. Just like, just wait until the next running back gets hurt. And, and like, you'll have an opportunity to grab someone or better yet, just fill all your bench with a bunch of backup running backs from whatever that Twitter doctor is saying. And, you know, you'll have just as much of a chance being right as he is. So, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we've seen it every week now. It's been multiple running backs since the season started. And that's, you know, I don't know necessarily. I want to say it's par for the course, but hey, you know, that's what happens. You draft all these mid round running backs. We see them kind of, you know, fall off in droves. And I'm someone that's always been an anchor RB guy that kind of ignored RB two. Yeah. And I've kind of sold that as, my I, I before it even had a moniker like before it was hero RB or anchor RB I just thought it was drafting you know uh, you know but and, and that's kind of where we are at this point it's not even that mid round wide receivers have smashed necessarily but they still have it in their range of outcomes that are, they aren't hurt right now uh, and, look you know, if you were so- drafted if you're drafting David Montgomery <laughs> and Chris Carson instead of DJ Moore and Cooper Cop like you're right. in pain yeah you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're hating your life. Yeah, I think that's a great point, though. Like you said, you want to be looking at, yeah, we're guys are in the same range. So if you're if you're if you are unhappy with DeAndre Hopkins, even if you're unhappy with Calvin Ridley, who we said like we would target, but you're not you want to sell him. You need to be operating in that. Can you what can you use with Calvin Ridley to get to Stefan Diggs? You know, something like that. That's that's what you have to be thinking in the process. The other way is if you want to trade, you need to find teams that actually need what you want to move. So, I mean, a lot of people, I get this all the time, you know, I want to trade this player. What do I target? Like, who should I target for this player? And, you know, I'll do the same thing, say like guys in this tier, the same tier, or you need to find a roster that absolutely needs to have what you're selling. You know, you, you, you yeah. need this, you need my Deandre Hopkins. You don't have to sell it like that. You don't have to be a goon in the trade and be like, cause you don't want us to be the trade, uh, the yeah, comment, comment like, you need my guy, but you need to find the team that is at ran cold at wide receiver that, that doesn't have these guys and, you know, say like, yeah, well, DeAndre Hopkins really helps my roster. Like I'm in, I'm actually excited when I see him, I might be excited about what DeAndre Hopkins has provided to date, but I know what I need. And I need a receiver that is playing these snaps and is attached to this quarterback. I need that on this roster. You can, you have to go down and scour that. And then you move from through that team's roster and you see, all right, well, what can I get in return for this? And that's, you, you'll find more successful trades going that route than just saying, all right, I know I want Calvin Ridley. Uh, I'm going to go to the, the team that has Calvin Ridley and I'm right. going to offer him a bunch of stuff for it. 
<laughs> yeah, that's totally, that's never how I trade. Like it's, you should always be trading from, you know, from need first on the other end. Like should all, if you're in the dynasty league, you should go to the, yes. I mean, if I'm in dynasty league, the people I always go to, I just like, I look at the people in the middle of the standings, right? Like I, well, depending on what I want, but if I, if I want to like trade away, you know, like if I, if I'm looking at like, okay, who am I going to stick with quarter all Patterson? Like I'm always going to the teams that are two and two. And I'm like, okay, who's two and two and needs a running back like this. This is the person that I want to yep. trade, you know, Patterson two or Williams two, uh, you know, and, and in redraft, like I'm always going to start at the bottom of the standings. Like, okay, who's one and three and why are they one and three, right? Like that's, that's what I want to look at. Okay. First of all, why are they one and three in the sense of like what position is faltering them on their team or like what player has probably, you know, made them hate their life so far because they keep failing in big moments. And that's why they're one and three and that they're probably willing to get rid of them for anything just because they can't stay on the side of them. Like, right. I don't want to just be like, okay, man, who's this trendy person that's been awesome, man. You know what? Like, I really want DJ more, man. Like I, I bet it's like, you think the person has DJ more is just like rarer to get rid of them. Like probably not. Like, yeah. First of all, they're probably four and oh, and they don't need what you have. And second of all, they're probably riding DJ more to the bank. Let me uh, pick your brain real fast on uh, what's going on at the Cowboys the last couple weeks. Uh, oh, we've yeah. seen them. We, we've seen them run. They've really ramped up their 12 personnel usage. They're using 12 personnel 34% yeah. of the time. It's fourth highest rate in the league. It was 21% last year. They have faced three teams in a row that play a lot of too high safety, a lot of zone. We've seen a lot of teams defend the Chiefs like this last year too. Uh, and, and they've really kind of said, well, we'll swerve into our big powerful offensive line. We'll run two tight ends out there and we'll just alternate Tony Pollard and Zeke and we'll run down your throat if that's what you're going to let do this. But because of that now, we're starting to see Dal- Dalton Schultz creep up, and I've already seen him in rankings this week. He's already could being considered like a, a mid-round tight end one, uh, or a not mid-round, a mid-tight end one, and he's got target shares of 28% and 36% the past two weeks. Uh, if you're betting on Dalton Schultz sustaining that, you're betting against C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper full-time big picture who have just had, you know, CD lamb's got a 12% and 22% target share. Amari Cooper, just 16 and 13%. So it's not necessarily that I'm telling people like, Hey, you ran into this guy off waivers, Dalton Schultz, tight ends of wasteland, but also Dalton Schultz seems like a pretty guy, pretty much a guy that you can use in a package uh, with another player to kind of upgrade another position because you can use him for multiple guys. I and mean, you might be able to get Kyle Pitts and something for Dalton Schultz, maybe oh George gosh. Kittle uh, for some of Dalton Schultz, because these Cowboys wide receivers are superior football players than Dalton Schultz, and he's getting double the targets of those players. And you're not going to be long right. on betting on him getting double the targets of those two players uh, right now. Yeah, and you know who else is a superior player to Dalton Schultz is Michael Gallup, who's probably two or three weeks away. And when Michael Gallup comes back, it's say goodbye to 12 personnel. Like that's right. Why are they running so much 12 personnel this year? Well, probably because they lost one of their three wide receivers. I mean, I, I can't imagine like Kellen Moore, I think, is an ultra sharp coordinator. Yes. Uh, and I think that that's one of the reasons why they've been, you know, really pass heavy against the Bucks and then run heavy the last three weeks is that he's going to do what makes the most sense with his personnel and with what the defense is doing. And you mentioned it, the defense has been giving them run friendly looks. I mean, they got the, the Eagles who, I mean, just looked entirely disinterested in stopping the run in that game. Uh, and then uh, they had in the chargers who, I mean, Brandon Staley, all speaking of guys who I think are mega sharp. I mean, he did the same thing with the Rams and he's, he's spoken about it where basically, I mean, his defensive philosophy is if you want to run, be my guest. I, I don't care. Like I'm, I'm going to focus on stopping the pass. And if I'm going to get gashed by a thousand cuts in the run, like that's fine. Uh, especially when he has a good offense, like he has, I think that's, he sees that as sort of a, 
a, a less uh, harmful way to get beat. And with Carolina, I mean, people are really pumping this Carolina run defense, but like two of their first three games were against the Texans. Yeah. <laughs> they were the worst run defense in the NFL last year. I think that they're improved across the board, but I'm still more concerned about their pass D than I am about their run D. And Amari Cooper was playing like visibly hurt last week. So if you sort of have one and a half out of your three wide receivers and you have these two running backs and you have this O-line and the team is going to be playing cover two, the whole, of course you're going to run the dang ball and, and you're up the whole game. So I don't think we fully know who the Cowboys are yet. I think that we got way too ahead of ourselves with confirmation bias after week one, myself included, where, you know, we had this crazy sample of Dak passing the ball all over the place in 2020. I think generally we just wanted that to be the case, right? Like we want teams to pass more uh, in terms of just public sentiment, public sentiment towards Dak and CD lamb is like, you know, very high approval ratings of uh, the, the presidential approval rating on Zeke is very low. Uh, and so the idea of like the Cowboys abandoning the run and passing all the time and Zeke is washed, and we're going to throw it to CD. Like that's fun for people. People want that to be true. Uh, and you know, this last three weeks now it's sort of the other end. It's like, ah, you said Zeke was washed. Now they're going to run the dang ball. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. You know, they're playing, I think a more balanced defense, the giants this week, uh, you know, and on the Zeke front, I, I think like it's, I, I think he is, kind of what I expect him to be most of the time, which is probably going to be a mid to low end RB one. He's clearly in a timeshare. He's obviously the back you want of the two in that timeshare, but I think he's requiring, you know, them running it 30 times a game to get 20 carries. If they're not running it 30 times a game, then he's not going to get 20 carries because Pollard's going to get 33% of them. So if anything, I'd probably be more inclined to sell Zeke right now. Although, you know, he's not he's certainly going to hurt you. He's super safe. And I'm, I'm buying Lamb and Cooper. I think they're going to come back up towards the middle. Yeah, I'm with you. I was someone that I was high on, on Elliott coming into the year, uh, especially for the touchdown regression. I just thought this team was going to score so many more touchdowns. I was that, so and, low on Elliott coming into the year. And that's happened. But I will say, though, you're right. I, I, I recalibrated immediately week two because the thing with Zeke right now is not only is he – is there a little bit of a timeshare? And, and there should be. I mean, I thought this would be more of a galaxy brain take than it's happened so far. But I thought with the extra game this year, that teams that had two backs, we would see more of a split, especially right. either early in the season or on Thursday night games. Like, and it really hasn't happened across the league. Like Derrick Henry's pacing for like 700 touches or something. I don't know. But yeah. it's, it's hey, but, Darrington yeah. Evans is returning to practice this week. But the thing right. about Zeke right now is he's not getting any targets. And with Gallup out of line, I'm like, that's the concerning part. That's what's going to keep him more being like a, a guy that finishes above his station you know he might finish as the rb say like five to seven overall at the end of the year but on a weekly level when he doesn't score a touchdown uh because he has scored a touchdown in the past three weeks but when he doesn't score a touchdown the floor is going to be lower because the cushion of receptions that we had remember he had 50 or more catches each of the past three seasons only austin eckler and alvin kamara were guys that did that and we're not going to get there this year like we're not even sniffing those 50 catches right now uh so that's the that's the disappointing argue, uh, part of Zeke. But like you said, I think he's it's going to be one of those things where I think uh, with Elliot, but both sides ended up being right a little bit. You know what I mean? It's gonna that's kind of where we are yeah. right now. <laughs> like I, I I wrote this article in the summer uh, that's it's by far the most uh, most replies of and, and clicks we've got any article. I wrote the fallacy of the Bilo running back uh, and all about Ezekiel Elliott and. Basically, my 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 anti Elliot argument had three main pillars, which was number one that he was not good in 2020 at like running the ball, and that it wasn't only because he lost that because he was also not very good at running the ball in 2019, uh, from like a real life you know perspective, and then the other piece being that I thought Pollard was going to get a lot more work, and 
then the last part being that, you know, I, I felt like uh, they were actually going to pass quite a bit. And I, I would say that so far, I've, I've sort of been about one and a half out of three. Like, I think that the, Paul, the Pollard opportunity share has been right where I thought it would be. And that part's been great. The, the, however, they're running the ball more than I thought. And so I kind of thought with this opportunity share, Zeke's probably a low-end RB1. But if they keep running it so much, then he's probably more of a mid-range RB1. And the other thing is that he's actually looked a lot better. Like his, his rush yards over expectation is pacing back around his 2018 levels, way above where he was at, you know, in 2019 and 2020. So uh, I definitely think he's, he's looked better in real life. Uh, if you have him, you can rest assured he's not washed. Uh, <laughs> however, Paul, I mean, the thing is Pollard is also awesome. Like Paul, Pollard just yeah. rocks every time he gets the ball, he does great things with it. He deserves those touches. There's no reason that they should go back to Zeke. Uh, you know, so maybe Pollard won't get a lot more touches, but I don't think he's giving away any either. Yeah. I mean, everything kind of, when you factor in with Zeke too, everything went wrong last year. He had the ankle injury. He also had COVID, which we have no idea if that affected mm-hmm. like his, you know, long-term, you know, ability, you know, to, you know, run effectively uh, as a running back. We don't know all those things, but hey, yeah, it looks like I the, the touchdown bet looks like it's going to be interesting, but the, I do still worry about the games where he doesn't score a touchdown. We've seen that kind of happen with like Nick Chubbian type of guy. Uh, I want to pick your brain about a guy that Derek fits that same archetype though, that I was down on for redraft to open the year, but I've been kind of had this, this galaxy brain take of, I'm going to let other people draft him and, and then try to grab him, which is always a sketchy kind of ice to skate on. <laughs> I do have him in a league though, and it's Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I was down yeah. on him because I, I was looking at their openings, their, their opening schedule uh, looked like a nightmare for his kind of archetype, but they weren't going to have a, a lot of leads. They really haven't. Uh, it was nice to get them in a game where they had positive game script and he did come yeah. in the game with a knee injury, but you know, he looked apart again last week, but their schedule opens up after this week, after they get out of this Baltimore game, it opens up. Uh, they are going to get eventually this offensive line. Maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe I shouldn't say eventually, but this, this offensive line should get healthier as it goes on. They've been missing. They've been rotating a bunch of guys. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon Smith's been injured. Quentin Nelson yeah. has been hurt. You know, they're trying to figure out if Eric Fisher can come back and, you know, play up to his level. The offensive line's in a mess. And Wentz has played hurt basically the entire season. He was hurt coming yeah, into the season. Broken <laughs> foot and two sprained ankles. Yeah. So, I mean, Jonathan Taylor is still a guy and it's hard to buy running backs in this climate. Like, you know, no one's just giving running backs away and especially not named Jonathan Taylor but he is a guy though that I've been looking to kind of uh be a guy to explore if I can do one of these package up scenarios uh where are you at on Jonathan Taylor nope nope out (laughs) Um, out. yeah uh not interested uh here's why so first of all I'm a Colts fan and I love Jonathan Taylor Jonathan Taylor is in the header of my Twitter I I love him to death uh look I think that you made a great point for Jonathan Taylor. And certainly if anyone is like panicking, I guess they probably wouldn't be after this last week, but right. if, if they, if panic ensues after the Monday night game, if things go poorly, then certainly he's a fantastic talent and I'd be willing to buy, but like for people that I think are at a similar cost, I'd, I'd probably just rather go in a different direction. My, my issue with Taylor, um, as I said, I'm a Colts fan. I love this team, but this team is going nowhere fast in my estimation. Uh, even as the schedule opens up, Hines is still going to play a lot and, and he actually plays sometimes in goal line packages. It's not just a negative script. Uh, they run certain plays that are scripted that Hines is just better for when they try to do sweeps around the outside. They love doing those near the goal line. It's, it's going to continue to be frustrating for Taylor managers. Uh, it doesn't look like there's any takers for Marlon Mack. And if there's not, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he continues to show up and be active and take some carries like he did this week. Maybe that was just because they were trying to showcase him for trade. Maybe it was because Taylor had a knee injury. I'm not really sure. I mean, they they were 0-1 facing the Rams at home, and they played Mac more than Taylor in the fourth quarter of a game they lost by three. Like, 
right? That those were like very clear. We need to win times and they didn't give it to Taylor. Uh, my other issue is that as bad as Wentz looked, he is by far their best option at quarterback, but they will lose their first round pick. If he plays 75% of the snaps, if they are three and seven or three and eight, they are not going to give Carson Wentz the last five games of that schedule and lose their first round pick for a nothing season. And they will be playing Sam Ellinger in your fantasy playoffs. Uh, I don't expect the Colts to be anywhere near playoff contention by that, in that time. division though, and the division. <laughs> they could it, be five and seven. They could be five it and is, seven. It is possible. It is and possible. Still, and still be a game back. Right. As long as they have a reasonable chance at the playoffs, and as long as Wentz can actually stand up, then they will play him. But I, I don't think people have talked about this a lot. Like if there is no incentive for them to play Wentz if they're out of playoff contention, you may as well get a look at Eason or Ellinger, and you're you're just giving a first round pickup for absolutely nothing if if they're like three and seven, right? And mm-hmm. and I think if that's such a high risk. That scares me off of Taylor entirely because I, I just think if anything, like what I would maybe want to do with Taylor is like buy him and then use him for this early stretch and then look, and then it's like, okay, you get a free look. Maybe if the Colts get back to four and four, five and five, then you're good to go. And if not, uh, then you try to flip them without people realizing that scenario. But I don't know. That's the thing that scares the shit out of me. I just don't want to be in my fantasy playoffs and starting the running back of a Jacob Eason offense. Yeah, I mean, that's been a lot of people's take. If they get out, they'll, they'll bench Wentz. I'm not sure they'll ever officially be out in that division because the Titans have, have so many issues. Titans like suck. That, this, that division is the NFC East of this year. Like, it's 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 going to be a situation where it's going to be a 7-9 and nine, or a, it's a 7-10 and 10 team or a, what is it, 8-9 uh, is going to win the division this year, potentially. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because the Jaguars and, and Texans are, are not going to be a, a part of things either. That uh, It's interesting. So we, we're, we're running long here, but just real quick, rapid oh, no fire. Way rapid fire anybody like anybody else that we haven't touched on like you know i, I would say like guys like t higgins arthur Juan, we talked about you know any of these guys that have been kind of you know injured that offer that apex upside we talked about anyone else that's kind of floating through that like you you've got on your mind uh, as a buy or sell yeah um probably one guy i'd, I'd be interested in is chris godwin i think people are, are panicking oh, yeah. him a little bit just because of the target share i mean like it, it's gonna rotate back and forth you know with this with the target share in this tampa bay offense i, I don't think to just I, I think you're just gonna drive yourself crazy trying to sort through the target share trends and figure out who's trending up and who's trending down uh i think there's, there's gonna be Godwin weeks there's gonna be evans weeks there's gonna be brown weeks and I think if you want a Bucks wide receiver, you just kind of have to live with that. Uh, I, I know some people are, are panicked about him and I, I'd be very interested in getting in on him. Uh, and then, you know, another guy that I think is, is potentially really interesting, uh, you know, is we, I, you talked about him really briefly. I think you mentioned him, but LaVisca Chenault. I mean, I, I love LaVisca Chenault so much. Uh, like I, I'm not so sure that his role fundamentally changed without DJ Chark being there. I think there's, there's a little bit of noise to that, but what I can see changed is that, you know, one of the three leading targets of the offense is no longer there. Right. Uh, you know, I, I expect Visca is probably going to run more routes. I, I know it didn't happen necessarily that night, but it, I, I think it's just logical to assume that that's at least a possibility. Uh, and then the other guy that's interesting uh, to me is Michael Pittman. I've never been a big Michael Pittman guy. Uh, and I know I just mentioned my concerns with the Colts, but his usage is like off the charts good. He, I think he's like wide receiver 12 right now in expected fantasy yep. points. And he's a guy that, you know, maybe if that nightmare scenario does present itself, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, you're probably not paying all that much for Pittman. You could sit him down. You could live with it. I don't think it's quite as scary as it is as for Taylor. 
Uh, I was not a big fan of him as a prospect. I was not a big fan of him in Dynasty, but I, I admit that I I may have erred on that one. He looks real darn good, and there's nobody else to throw to. And as long as he's up to the challenge, which he has been so far, he'll, he'll probably keep drawing a lot of volume. And Wentz is only going to get healthier. Yeah, I mean, Eugene Hilton's going to come back eventually, but he was pretty dusty yes. at the end of last year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, start yeah, start T.Y. Hilton against the Texans. Otherwise... <laughs> Yeah, I, I like I like uh, I like the pit. I love the Godwin call. You know, I did an article in the early season that said you know the Bucks, the ultimate best ball team uh, in the off season because it's just they have too so many good players. It's just you're just gonna have weeks where these guys go dormant for a couple weeks, but the ceiling spike weeks that these guys can have are are all gonna be strong. Uh, yeah, I mean the interesting thing about Chenault, so it's been pretty like vacated targets aren't a thing, but target elevation is a thing. Like the yeah. idea, the idea of like, all right, this player now is gone off the roster. It had 20% of the targets. It's going to get divvied up. This That's not how it works, but the ball targets are earned are a thing. And if targets are earned by the best players by default, now LaVisca Chanel is one of the Jaguars best players. So, so more right. targets are going to get to him. So like, that's kind of the argument people always have with vacated targets and target elevation. I did a thing on this uh, in the early in the off season that talked about players getting, you know, target elevation just because of default of, if you believe targets are earned, uh, then this, these type of events happen. It doesn't mean Russell Gage now gets a 20% target share because right. Julio Jones left. Uh, but it does mean that, you know, uh, a player that's already good is going to earn more targets. Uh, so by yeah, default, it's something yeah. I've, I've always like sort of wanted to find a way to quantify this and maybe I'll just like go into like a laptop cave for a week and work on it. But like looking at sort of what the true like target share is of the player in terms of like what level of targets they earn and then sort of the comparison to that in the offense and what's actually available. Cause you look at this, right. It's like, well, you know, look at San Francisco, like they probably have three players that are, are capable of earning 30% of the targets. If, if things broke, a we saw way. it last year when Kittle and uh, Debo Samuel were out or when one guy was out or when all were out the, they all the target shares went bonkers. We saw uh, when right. Ayuk and Kittle were out, Debo went nuts against the Rams that week. He had like a thirty-five percent team target share. And then when Kittle and Debo got hurt, Ayuk just went bananas. Right, we're seeing <laughs> with the Bengals right now too. Right, it's mm-hmm. like Tyler Boyd, Tyler Boyd. Is, is probably a naturally like he's probably like a twenty-five percent target share player, and so is T Higgins, and so is Jamar Chase. But you know what? They can't have like eighty percent of the targets altogether. But then when one of them leaves, you know, then you see that twenty-five to thirty percent target share for all of them. So I, I definitely think that there is, is something to that idea, and it's the same for as I was saying for Godwin. Like I like attacking some of these crowded wide receiver rooms because you you also get a little bit of that contingent value where when you get an, a wide receiver room where you know that people are overqualified to be the wide receiver three, it's like, okay, if, if someone among that wide receiver group leaves and all of a sudden now the target share gets opened up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's one of the things I have to have uh, Peter Howard on the show one day. So we talk about vacated targets yeah. and target elevation, the, uh, the, the, the discrepancy between the two. I don't want him to tap the sign on me, but uh, there's a difference between <laughs> them. Uh, tap the sign. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want him to tap the sign on me, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to talk about this one day. Uh, so br- bringing this home here, uh, me and the guest, every, yeah. every, every show, we kind of pick out kind of our like starts and sneaksters uh, where we pick, you know, kind of a, a guy that's ranked outside the industry consensus at each position. And uh, a guy who might be just higher on, uh, maybe you play him in DFS, maybe you get in your lineups. Uh, just a guy maybe we're a little bit higher than the field on this week. Uh, it's everyone's uh, favorite and least favorite segment on the show uh, because it's gross and sometimes you'd make dumb selections. Uh, so some scoreboard <laughs> transparency. We always like to recall what we did last year. Me and uh, my guest was Ben Gretsch. I had Sam Darnold. That worked out because he's apparently the Konami code master this year. Uh, just going to rush yeah, for every touchdown. Uh, Gretsch did go with the Konami quarterback, Justin Fields. He, he played great. They just, the game plan didn't 
it wasn't fantasy yeah. conducive. I tried to reach into the well on Josh Jacobs. Interesting usage for Josh Jacobs. It didn't hit. Yeah. Five five catches, career high. Up. Career high, five catches uh, for, yeah. <laughs> for Josh Jacobs. I, I meant to talk him up. I mean, I've always been saying I'm like a big Josh Jacobs basher but that's because I've always, I've always said like it's my running joke I'm like oh did Josh Jacobs score a touchdown tonight well turns out he was a bad pick oh he scored two touchdowns oh my god he was a good fantasy pick again yeah. <laughs> uh like you got 11 PPR points with no touchdown that's the dream that's yeah, the that, dream that's what we've been elu- it's been elusive for Josh Jacobs in his career and Kenyon Drake played yeah. just 20 snaps one touch I mean I'll see it we'll see how sticky it is but I did think that it was interesting Josh Jacobs usage on night it didn't hit Gretchen had Zach John Moss on an 11 million dollar kicker turner apparently <laughs> <laughs> yeah, paint barbers out. We'll see what happens. Uh, but Gretchen Zach Moss, he he continued to find his way into the end zone. I had Robbie Anderson. He was he basically had an Odell Beckham game last week. Donald missed him on yeah. two wide open throws. Gretchen had Jalen Waddle, who caught three passes the first drive and then didn't catch a pass oh, again. I had and- Jalen Waddle in my cash lineup, and it was the most <laughs> tilting experience. Like immediately three catches, Will Fuller broken finger. I will never throw to Waddle again. Yeah, never again. Never again. Just went away. And then we both had Dawson Knox. Uh, Fort Knox continued to find his way uh, into yes. the end zone as well. So overall, pretty pretty solid week for uh, you know digging into the well. So I like to start with the guest. What do you got for a quarterback uh, that's ranked outside of the top twelve uh, by the industry right now? Yeah. So for for quarterback, uh, I'm going to go with the 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 boring rookie quarterback, not the one that everybody's starting. I'm going to play Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> Uh, he's playing whatever 100%. that thing that the Titans are calling a defense uh, in a game that should probably be a lot of points. Uh, I know that Urban has been grinding hard on a game plan this week. Uh, and um, you're going to get an opportunity <laughs> for Lawrence to play in a really positive uh, script, I think, for him to be passing. He, it's going to be pretty easy if you're playing DFS to stack him because now you're sort of down to two viable wide receiver options and Marv and LaVisca and potentially a sneaky little double stack with the postman, Dan Arnold, who was involved immediately after yeah. they traded their former number nine overall pick for him. So I really like Trevor Lawrence this week. I thought he had by far his best game as a pro, and now he gets the best matchup he's had. Uh, I expect him to be in the top 12 this week. They also used him a lot more as a rusher. Uh, some, some would say that they finally unlocked the Konami code. Yeah, two, two weeks in a row, we start to see him get moved into the design run game. One got stuck. As someone who bet the over on his season-long uh, touchdowns rushing, it was three and a half, and I thought it was the freest bet ever. And to see him not run the first three mm. weeks, I'm like, what is happening? And then he almost had two on, on Thursday night. I almost yeah. got real excited. He almost cut it in half in one night. But I'll take, <laughs> I'll take the one to start. A little promising signs. I love that call. I love that game for DFS because uh, there are different Same. ways to attack the big dog. Uh, high ownership this week on multiple levels. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Joe Burrow. I thought, you know, no one wants to take the low hanging fruit of Trey Lance. That's not fun. Uh, I like Joe Burrow for a couple of reasons in this game. So one on Thursday night, the Bengals actually finally threw over, you know, past expectation rate on early downs. It's been really kind of slow to start the season. Uh, I don't believe Samaj P. Ryan is tip- is really that effective of a running back. And it's going to, with them don't? getting really, I don't, I don't. And with them getting T Higgins back uh, and facing Aaron Rodgers, I think it's, it's going to be a little more pass heavy game for the Bengals. Also, uh, the Packers are 22nd in passing points allowed per game, and they face Jameis Winston, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, so far, they might not have Jerry Alexander or Jay Alexander in a sling uh, playing, and, or, and, and Kevin King still might not be back as well. So, I mean, the Bengals are definitely a team you don't want to come in with, uh, you know, injured DB core. Uh, so I like Burrow, who's also played really well. Outside of that one Bears game, he's been really good. Out, uh, yeah. You know, so hopefully we don't have another hiccup like that, but he's been really good. I wish he 
he was running off the ACL, but I think that was to be expected. Uh, so I'll go with Burrow. We'll leave the low hanging fruit of Trey Lance on the board. Uh, this is the worst running backs. Always the grossest. Uh, what are you going to reach in the back for and pull out at running back? I promise I'm going to get to some really old guys later, but I'm going to go with one more rookie. Uh, we finally saw Michael Carter for the first time this season. Uh, this season. is my guy. We'll uh, double down. Oh, okay. Perfect. <laughs> for the first time all off season, Michael Carter led Jets running backs and routes run. Uh, Ty Johnson exceeded about half of his work to Tevin Coleman. Coleman came back and he exclusively ate Ty Johnson's lunch, not Michael Carter's. Michael Carter has looked like the best running back on the New York Jets so far this season, as much as that pains me because I'm, I'm a Ty Johnson truther status. However, uh, I thought Michael Carter looked nice last week, and now he gets Atlanta, which is sort of the dream matchup for running backs. And I don't understand how this is the case because they've had so many different defensive coordinators and head coaches and scheme adjustments, but death taxes and Atlanta just hemorrhaging receptions to running backs it's been happening for like eight straight years at this point I don't understand how it keeps being a thing but uh, we saw it with McKissick and Gibson we saw it with Saquon we saw it with Sanders and Kenny Gainwell the only team that at Philadelphia will actually give touches to Miles Sanders against is the Atlanta Falcons uh, I expect a lot of passes going to the wars of running back position this week in jolly old England and I expect Michael Carter to clearly lead them in carries uh, chalk up I think 10 to 12 carries, four or five targets for Michael Carter and a good shot of the touchdown or two. This is nice. This is my guy. You laid out the argument perfectly. We're, I think we're going to see those receptions come. It was in his profile. They just haven't come yet. Uh, I love this one. Uh, so we'll move on to wide receiver. Then. I always love when me and the guests agree. It's happened a couple of times. Yeah. And typically it's been strong when we roll, roll the same guy. Uh, wide receiver, there's two guys I really like. I was going to see if maybe you picked one. I'd go with the other guy. Um, oh, I'd be stunned if I picked the same one as you. Yeah, I mean, there are two guys I really like. So I like uh, Rugs too, but I won't go Rugs. But I, I'm going to go with Devontae Parker. Uh, he said, oh, <laughs> is this your guy? Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> all right, we're pure symmetry on the board here this week. Seven or more targets in all four games. Played a season high 90% of the team snaps. Will Fuller sidelined again. Pass funnel defense. The the Dolphins have to throw a lot. They might not be able to pass protect in this game. The but uh, the you know the, the Tampa Bay secondary a lot of league high 20 catches to wide receivers. Uh, you're, you're getting end zone targets. You're getting downfield targets with Devontae Parker. I think a lot of people are going to go to Waddle. Uh, because of the slot correlation and the, the Bucks mm-hmm. have struggled against slot guys. But uh, I think Parker gets the high leverage targets where he doesn't need 12 targets to get there like Waddle might. So the Parker was my guy. Well, how about this? I, <laughs> I, I, I will take someone else. So Parker was my original guy, but I will take someone else. We don't <laughs> only talk about one player per position. Fair enough. Uh, it'll be even grosser, even <laughs> older and even dustier than Devontae Parker. On Sunday night, we got one of the highest total games of the whole season. And that means the Bills are going to have to run a lot more pass plays. They're going to have to be playing more of their uh, 10 personnel sets, which means we're going to get a lot of Vin Beasel out on the field. Uh, Cole Beasley's coming off a down week. Uh, I'm going to probably put Cole Beasley as my most owned captain on the Sunday Night Football (laughs) showdown slate uh, because I, I just... The last few weeks, they've had these massive blowouts. And so Beasley's snap share, his route share has gone down a little bit because they're not running a whole lot of 10 personnel in the second half of games that they're up, uh, you know, by three touchdowns. Uh, I'm definitely expecting that to change right. this week when they're going to have to go back and forth with the Chiefs. The Chiefs defense has been truly nothing impressive so far. Uh, and I think a lot of people will be chasing Emmanuel Sanders, which is a totally fine play because he's been the better option for the last couple of weeks. But I still think these guys are fairly interchangeable week to week and I'm feeling good about Cole Beasley. I'm down with flexing him. If you have him in a a standard league and I definitely think he's going to be a cornerstone play in my showdown uh, portfolio. 
Nice. I like that. So let's bring this home with the worst fantasy position uh, and it could, should be stripped from existence. Yeah. Uh, tight, tight end. I mean, you could almost, we say a tight end out of the top six and rankings now at this point, because everyone <laughs> just ranks the same top six guys every week, basically. And now maybe Schultz and Knox are getting in there now, but uh, what do you got for us at tight end? Yeah, this has been like my guy this year. Whenever I go on shows, I think he's just ranked way too low. It seems like the consensus is continually ranked Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry as though they're equal options. And I fail to understand why. Johnny Smith's snaps are a little bit closer because he has a lot more run blocking, but their 11 personnel is Hunter Henry. He's usually been doubling or tripling Johnny Smith's routes. And in a game against Houston, where if New England's ever going to score 30 or 40 points, I mean, this is the week because people are just doing whatever they want on this Houston defense. I think Hunter Henry has a good chance to be running as he's usually been, 70 to 80% of the routes, uh, seeing about 15 to 20% of the targets. And I think he's about a coin flip that to score a touchdown this week. So I think you have as much as you can have such a thing as a floor outside the top six tight ends, I think Andre Henry is a decent one. And I think he actually has a little bit of a ceiling as well this week. Nice. I like that one. I'm going to go with the same thing where two guys are it's the opposite a little bit though, where two guys are closer than they appear, but in rankings are never close. And I'm going to go with Zach Ertz uh, over Dallas mm. Goddard. Uh, Dallas Goddard is consistently always ranked multiple spots over Zach Ertz every week, but the opportunity is basically pretty even. They're kind of cannibalizing each other. I wish it was one tight end, but Zach Ertz has matched or exceeded Dallas Goddard in targets in three of the four games. Uh, end zone targets are the same. Uh, we saw the Panthers, you know, kind of struggle into the Dallas tight ends last week. Uh, they are our team that aren't going to probably give up a lot of production to opposing wide receivers and the Eagles wide receivers can be volatile with the types of targets they get anyways uh, from Jalen Hurts when he goes into the, 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 the gun chuck mode that he was last year. He's good when they when they keep the eight out low Jalen Hurts is money. Uh, when he goes into yeah. this just vertical sideline shots like they did against the 49ers, then you start to see the volatility. Uh, but yeah, basically it's just that uh, Ertz is like, I think a safe floor PPR guy. Maybe he gets in the box uh, at tight end and that's enough to kind of get you there. He also, between the two tight ends, the Eagles, he has the only tight end one scoring week without a touchdown on the season. So we have that, that kind of working for us as maybe an out as well, but I mean, that's as much as I can sell yeah. Zach Ertz on the show. No, I, I like Zach Ertz. I, I was playing so much sackers last week in, in dfs uh i mean my my big stance was that i wanted to play mahomes uh because i, I just felt like they were the chiefs were just way under own uh last week and i thought they were clearly in the best spot mm-hmm. and it, it was so tilting because i i had one come off like the board 40. so like well no this this is what was tilting is well yeah that one came off the board with Ertz, but with the goddard was was infuriating like I played, I think 40% of my lineups were like Mahomes Hill stacks. And then I played about 30% Mahomes Kelsey. And I went in, I forgot who I had exactly shuffled around. But I was like, oh man, I must just be crushing this week because, you know, Mahomes Hill is like the nut stack. And I'm looking at my lineups. I'm like, I just put the worst Eagles around them. I was like, I played, <laughs> like I, I didn't play any Gainwell and I didn't play any Goddard because I'm like, he's 4,800, Ertz is 35. Their role's the same. I'll just play Ertz. Uh, and then I, I can promise you, I didn't play any Greg freaking Ward. So I'm just looking at these lineups. I'm like, oh my God, like Rager, total dust. Ertz, it's fine, but he's not keeping up with Knox and Goddard. Uh, you know, Devontae Smith is, is doing well. Miles Sanders, complete dust. Like I'm just like, man, I, I'm like, how, how many bad Eagles can I, can I, play until they eventually scored Quez Watkins I was playing like Fuck. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the Quez Watkins chase the dream. I love, we love Quez. Uh, the sharp, sharp uh, so angles much. in general is a huge. My my co-host on the uh, the Real Football Podcast here. Oh, really? we're, we're big Quez. We're big. I, Quez I have guys. twenty shares of Quez Watkins <laughs> in Dynasty leagues. He's my most rostered player. 
Yeah, I'm I'm up there too, man. Uh, he was a uh, the 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 locked in fourth round rookie pick of last year, and uh, I, I'll never go to we'll go to the grave. So all the confirmation from his opening game screen pass touchdown last year uh, in the preseason, we're gonna yeah. hold on to it all. But listen, that and was I will great. Play one um, Quez Watkins DFS lineup every single every week. week just every week you play Quez. I love it. I love it. That's I a do. great because <laughs> when you hit it, what one million you get with Quez? Yeah. Uh, we'll attribute to him. Uh, listen, man, it was great. You know, I hope everyone they they got a good sample of what they're getting with, with with you and the type of content you produce and the type of analysis you're providing you you're you're someone that you know i wish i still was spending this much as much time on twitter as you are but your twitter threads are great yeah. uh <laughs> uh definitely very knowledgeable I hope less hope... of that time on twitter but <laughs> 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 hopefully everyone got a good a good sample though of like kind of you know your process and what you bring to the table as a fantasy analyst uh you know so tell the people where they can find you on twitter where they can find your work uh, get all the plugs you need to get into here on the way out yeah, you can find me on Twitter, FF underscore RTGB. That's run the damn ball. Uh, like I said, I, I'm a Colts fan. You know, I just really want to establish it. Uh, and then uh, you can find all my work up on playerprofiler.com. I find my weekly article, The Pareto Principles. I'm, I'm working on, probably out next week, a strategy piece for Underdog's Best Ball Resurrection, uh, which is just going for about under a week and a half. I did a lot of best ball content over the summer for Player Profiler. And then uh, you can find me on Wednesday nights with Chase and Shane uh, for Fantasy Intervention. And you can find me on Fridays for the Full Tilt Dynasty podcast. And on Saturday with No Free Squares, that's my DFS show on the Full Tilt Dynasty Network. So you can find me in a lot of places. Find me on Twitter, FF underscore RTDB, and, and I'll point you wherever you need to go. This was an absolute blast, and, and thanks for having me on. Oh, listen, man, you're fantastic. All right, everybody, that's going to put a bow on this. Week four uh, is done. Week five is going to be done at the end of this week. Hopefully you guys get those trades in. You listen to this show, buy those guys, especially before, you know, the Falcons play in London this week. Uh, <laughs> but we always say, you know, uh, on the way out, you know, hopefully everyone, you know, that you get the points, you hit those cash lines this week. Good luck, everybody. We'll see you again next week. Oh, you know, man, you know, man.